EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh from Dallas, Texas. I'm a pastor here, and you're listening to EST, the podcast by established church pastors for established church pastors. We talk about the things that you're talking about with your friends over coffee and the things that you struggle with. Right now, today, uh, Sam is unable to record with us. He's doing an established church pastor thing. He is burying somebody. He's got a funeral, and so, you know, those are always tough. So we're praying for him, and as always, or usually, my uh, good friend Micah's on with me. Micah, how's it going today in Chattanooga? Oh, it's glorious, man. I'm sitting at my desk. I've got my window open. It's like 50-some degrees outside, and the cool hmm. breeze is blowing in my office. I, I don't, literally almost don't care what the temperature is outside. If I can have my windows open, I do. I'm wearing a Mountain Hardware down jacket right hmm. now just so I can stay warm, but I don't care because I like having the fresh air in. Me too. When it gets uh, below 70, my sunroof, windows are always down. I don't care. This morning it was 40-something. Windows are down, sunroof. I've got a jacket on. Hey, uh, Chattanooga popped up in my newsfeed. Why so? Um, For that chick who tried to run a marathon in high heels, the Seven Bridges Marathon. That was last weekend, yeah. 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 I thought, wow. That's something. Yeah, that's that is neat. something. <laughs> I don't really desire to run a marathon regardless, but I certainly don't desire to do one in high heels. <laughs> that's for sure. I don't even I don't even know how she did that. I Lo- do not. That's awesome. Respect. Respect for her. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about something that was um, kind of sent in via a listener on Twitter. And, uh, as you know, this is just a plug there if you have ideas and you, you want to – Direct message us. Go ahead and do that. We do read those. We respond to everything that we get, and we do appreciate it. Uh, this one was sent in directly because it is a personal issue. So didn't want to kind of throw that out there publicly, and so it was direct message to us. Something I've never done, something you have experience in, is adding a service to your church, yeah. you know, adding another alternative service. We've thought about it. We've got I've got some ideas and questions, and so what I thought we would do today is – I'd love to get your feedback on this just as a person who's thinking about it within our congregation. So um, just to start off with, tell me a little bit about the experience that you've had doing this. Yeah, so um, we offer multiple services where I'm at now, but those services were in place when I got here. Now, with that said, one of our services right now is um, at max capacity. Uh, We're running about 80 to 85% of our room and that's on a low Sunday. We've had a couple of Sundays where we've been at a hundred percent occupancy. I mean, literally within 40 people of the fire marshal limit. And so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do in that service right now. And so we're grappling with this question now. Well, at the last, uh, at the last church I served as a senior pastor, when I first got there, we were at one service 
but we saw about a 15 or 20 percent spike in attendance right away and so we had to quickly move to two services and we did that shortly thereafter and uh, at Brainerd you know where I'm serving now we have five services in two venues they're very distinct in terms of worship style two of the services happen in our sanctuary and uh, that's the you know what you would call a classic or a traditional service it's more of a blended I mean it's suit and tie choir and orchestra Worship is probably similar in your context, Josh, to a Prestonwood or First Baptist Dallas, something along those lines, kind of rousing Mm -hmm. anthems and hymns and the organ is involved and that sort of thing. I wear cufflinks and a bow tie regularly, and and then I change clothes for our other services. The other three services are in our venue that we call the BX, the Brainerd Crossroads. It's a gym and conference center deal that we have, And, um, and they're very, very modern. I mean smoke machine and the whole nine yards you know which they tell me makes the lights pop i just know it looks really cool i, I don't know what the deal is but it does <laughs> it looks it makes really a huge cool. difference <laughs> it huge looks difference. really nice <clears throat> it throws haze i think is what they told me it does um mm-hmm. so there and and i change and i wear you know jeans and a untucked shirt and that sort of thing in that venue tennis shoes hmm. the previous church i was at when we added a second service we um we ended up initially we went to two different kinds of worship the first service was more traditional second service was more modern uh, but ultimately we ended up moving both services to the same exact style and um and uh, kind of met in the middle between the traditional and the modern with probably a blended to modern sort of approach and, uh, Did you prefer that? Do you like them both being the same style, or do you, you know? Because one of the arguments is that to have two two services in the first place is going to divide your church. Now, whether or not that's true or not, yeah. and then having two completely different styles really does functionally feel like there's two different churches. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, here's the thing: I, that's not my greatest concern. If you're going to have mm-hmm. two services, then having two styles is not really that much different. I mean, you got two people mm-hmm. that are never in the same room together. You know, they're gathering at two groups of people. They're gathering at different times. So, I mean, to do different styles of worship, that's not really that much different in my mind. The bigger issue is it's very hard to do multiple styles well. And um, for the majority of churches, you know, you have one worship pastor and you have one worship team. One of the things that makes Brainerd work is that we have two complete staff uh of, of both paid and volunteer leaders to lead our two services. So we have our, our lead worship pastor who leads the sanctuary and he has, uh, we have an orchestra director and we have a sound engineer. Those are all paid staff and they lead worship in our sanctuary. Plus we have all of our volunteers that lead worship in our sanctuary. And then on our BX, we have a worship pastor in there. We have a sound uh, audio video sound guy that works in that venue as well. And then we have our whole staff of volunteers over there. So the two really don't meet. And because of that, we're, we're able to do both extremely well. I would, put our, mm. I would put our traditional worship up against just about anybody in the country, and I would put our modern worship up against any, anyone in the country. I mean, they're that good. But that's so a what rarity, would you, Josh. I mean, that's, not un, that's, that's right. unusual. How would you – let me just pepper you with some of the thoughts that you know, get us hung up. How, how do you continue to build unity amongst the two or, in your case, five groups? Okay, so I think first you have to define what unity means. Okay. Unity does not mean everybody's buddies with each other. 
because once your church is beyond 100, 150 people, that's not the case. Right. Okay. I mean, I would say in, in our case, well, no, really, once your church is at 100 people, everybody doesn't know everybody. And you can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may know who they are. You may see them in passing and recognize them. But you don't really know them, know all the details about their life once you're 100 people. So unity does not mean that. Unity means common sense of theology, common agreement where we're going, common trust in leadership, common commitment to the plans of the church. That's unity. That's not required. You don't have to have one service or everybody in one room for that to be the case, right? Right. Um, I think the bigger thing that we struggle with here is do the separate venues advocate for each other? And we see this when we have like, you know, we're working on a on a capital campaign for next year where we're going to try and hopefully renovate the sanctuary. Well, it's going to require people in both venues helping financially underwrite the cost of renovating the sanctuary. Will those who never use the sanctuary help financially underwrite the cost of something they're never going to use? That's the bigger question for us. And so when it comes to unity, I would say, first, let's define what unity means. Um, and, and secondly, um, then what we're doing regularly is asking questions. How do we have the group um, engaged with one another? So for us, I mean, yes, we have two venues. We have five services across those venues. But everything that happens outside of worship happens together and in the same space. So tonight, it's Wednesday night. We're going to have our Wednesday night programming tonight. Kids ministry will, meet, will be meeting. Youth ministry will be meeting. I'm leading a class with Paul Lasso, our preaching pastor. We're doing a class on evangelism. All of that is all the venues and all the services mixed together. Our life groups are not divided by venue or, or service. You know, we've got some life groups that have people from both venues and multiple services who come together in the same life group. Uh, so hmm. we do that. And then the other thing we're trying to do is put together regular, hopefully in 2018, we'll do two of these. We call them all church gatherings. And so where we do worship with everybody in one room all at the same time. So for us to do that... Is that off campus? It has to be off campus. We don't have a big enough space right. to do that. I mean, our biggest our biggest room on campus is our sanctuary, and it will hold about 40% of our weekly worship attendance. And hmm. so we, you know, we can't do that. And so um, to do it off campus, we have to rent a facility, and that's... Exp- I mean, that's the problem, is it's, it's, it gets to be very expensive to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we think we've just found a location that we can rent, and we're working on reserving it right now so that we can do our Easter service with everybody in one combined I know a lot of other churches do that as well, but, you know, that's a good time to do it. It is. And then we found an outdoor location to do something end of summer, early fall, where we would do amphitheater worship for the worship service and then just everybody bring grills and we would grill out afterwards and just kind of hang out. So, you know, I mean, it's not a perfect scenario. It's not a perfect situation or uh, solution, but those are the sort of things that we're working towards to try and build some of the camaraderie but unity i think is present in our church everybody's mm-hmm. been in the same direction everybody shares the same theological convictions generally speaking on the major issues everybody's committed to the re- direction of the church that's unity right and so what about um some of the benefits of multiple services why why do, why do churches so often consider these things instead of you know the other argument would be why don't you just plant another church in your town well be, that's a great argument but it doesn't generally fix the problem Right. Let's say we plant another church and we send people over there. But there's a reason why people are coming to this church, especially if your church is growing. They, mm-hmm. they enjoy the location or they like the worship style or they like the preaching. I mean, those, 
Those things don't change when you plant another church. And sure, you send 50 or 100 or more people out of your church to go plant it. We're looking at planting a campus next year that will have local worship leadership, local preaching, all of that. And we're going to hope for one to 200 people to go over there. Um, but we really anticipate that we send those out and we have another one to 200 people just filling back in those spaces. Right. You'll just grow into right. it. Right. Yeah. I mean, part of our problem right now is our biggest service is completely maxed out and we have in the service, we have to ask everybody to scrunch together. And then, you know, two weeks ago, or I think it was two weeks ago, we did that. We got up about 10 minutes into the service, asked everybody to scoot to the middle, filled in those seats, completely maxed capacity. And I look in the foyer lobby area and there's still probably 40 people trying to find a way to get into the you know, into the auditorium to find places to sit. Well, I mean, if we alleviate a hundred people out of just that service, we're still going to be at 90% capacity in that room. Right. So it's not going to keep us from growing. It's exciting. People want to be a part of it. So I, I think the either or dichotomy is a false dichotomy. I think you need a both mm. and. Sure. So we're yeah. trying to plant a church right now locally. We're partnering with another local church to plant a church. Plus, we're trying to plant campuses. Plus, we're planting churches nationally and internationally. Plus, we're trying to, you know, we're doing all of our multiple services and looking at starting another service. And um, now we're also bigger, so we've got a little more capacity. So, I mean, I get that. I don't right. think everybody can do all of those things. But I just don't know that that's a good um, rubric. It doesn't necessarily fix anything. Josh. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's that's that that's an argument people make to make themselves feel better, but generally doesn't lead to what they're looking for. Right. I've, I've very rarely seen anybody that's growing that plants the other church and doesn't do the two services. They just send, tend to kind of make them feel better about not growing and saying if we ever grew, we would plant a yeah, church. Yeah, I mean, here's There's the something thing. to kind of go with that. Planting a church is not going to cause a church to stop growing. Right. It'll alleviate it a few more seats, but yeah. if they're growing, they're going to keep growing. It's just going to give them mm-hmm. more capacity for growth. What do you what do you think about the idea of on campus planting? Instead of launching another service of say Brainerd in your case, you'd launch another service of I don't know, uh, Cliff Church, Cliff River Church. I don't know, <laughs> something on your campus and it's completely autonomous. What what Yeah, I, I would have zero I problem have a, with doing that. I mean, in a sense, that's kind mm-hmm. of what we're doing with our language services. I mean, we started okay. a Spanish-speaking service. It filled up the room it's got, and then we we were you know we had a campus. I think we've talked about this before. We had a local church that was down to seven people, and they were about to die, and they gave us their campus. And we spent some money to renovate it. We moved our Hispanic um, congregation over there, and now they've grown by fifteen percent since they moved into that facility. We have an Arabic-speaking cam- a group that's meeting on our campus, and we have a Cambodian group that meets on our campus, and they're kind of doing those sort of things. Now, the problem would be. Even though our campus is fairly large, because of all of our venues and our services, there's not a space on our campus larger than maybe could hold 40 people that's not in use on a Sunday morning. So well, I think theoretically, the, the thought I have is no problem instead with of it. Instead of you having five services, have five churches. That would be the thought. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. But again, I think you're bumping up against the same problem that you and I were talking about when it when it comes to planning a church off campus. There's a mm-hmm. reason people are coming to this church. There's something that God is doing in it uniquely. I think it's a great idea to plant campuses, uh, churches on your campus. But I don't think it's a good idea to think that you could do that somehow in spite of you growing or mm-hmm. to somehow stem the tide of a growing church from growing. I, I just don't see so, that. So let's assume that, you know, our listeners and ourselves, whoever's at the at the table for the decision is cool. We're going to we're going to launch another service. 
What are some of the steps in going through that process? How long does that take? You can't just start it next Sunday. So how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on your situation. Every situation is different. This is going to be a unique – I mean, I just met with a – I've got – I coach some pastors on a monthly basis, and one of my coach this past week called – or, you know, he emailed me and he said, hey, I know we're supposed to talk in, in a week or so, but I need some help with this. He's at a church that's at 85 90% capacity in their one service. They've got to do something else. They've basically reached their ceiling in terms of growth. But his leadership has just said, we're unwilling to do two services, the lay leadership. Hmm. They just refuse to do it. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's a rural, it's a smaller church, and it's a rural setting. They're at about 180 people right now every weekend. And uh, their sanctuary seats like 195 or something like that. And so it looks like in their scenario, they're going to spend a little bit of money and expand their sanctuary. Though I don't, I told him, I said, I think they're going to be able to get 60 more seats. And I told him, I said, that's a temporary solution. That's great. But that still doesn't solve your problem long term. I mean, that gets you the next year or two of growth. And then you're still grappling with what do you do beyond that. But my point is, um, is um, you've got to know your personal context. Um, and so where, where do you start? Do you start you by start with your kind key of pitching leaders. into the leaders? Yeah, you start with okay. your key leaders. And it doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't matter who is in official um, capacity. It, it matters who has the authority, who has relational authority in the church. That's who you need to, to be looking to. And often the people who have relational authority and, and, you know, and, and that sort of stuff do have positions in the church, but there are regularly times when those people don't have any official positions in the church. You need to know who those people are, the key stakeholders in your church, and you need to be having conversations with them. Now, frankly, that shouldn't be an unusual an unusual happening for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I have about five people that I go to lunch with every single month, and I go to lunch individually with every one of them every month. Uh, one or two of them are not in any official capacity in the church. They're just key influential lay people, and they happen to be good friends. They're people who have just become my good friends, and I trust them as counselors, as confidants. And uh, and so we, you know, we go to lunch every month. One of them I'm going to lunch with today. Um, and so you've got those. But then I've also got two or three, you know, head of finance team, head of personnel team, and we go to lunch, try, try and go to lunch at least once a month or so as well. That's an intentional effort on my part to, first of all, lead our leaders, and second of mm-hmm. all, have good, strong relationships with our leaders, so that when something like this comes up, I'm not all of a sudden having to pop into their into their lives and say, hey, we need to sit down and meet. I want us to just be good friends. I want us to have strong relationships so that we're talking regularly, so that when something like this comes up, it's just a normal part of our conversation. The lunch I'm going to have this afternoon is a lunch with the man I think is the most helpful counselor for me, and he's become a good friend in our church. He was chairman of the search team for you know that, that brought me here. Every month we eat together and I bounce everything off of him that I'm thinking of. And he tells me whether he thinks it's a good idea or not. He tells me if he's hearing anything in the church that I need to be paying attention to. So I think those are the conversations you need to be having regularly. But when it comes to adding a second service, then you're intentionally bouncing those ideas off of that you know, unofficial board of people. Let me ask you this. Uh, let's back up just a second here. And the the cause, we've assumed that the cause for adding another service is size. Yeah. You've outgrown your space. Right. Do you, I've heard different theories. There's the idea of, you know, maybe mission. You're going to try to reach additional people by typically this happens in the way that there's a traditional church. They're going to add a contemporary music vibe. I've seen it go the other way. In fact, we've thought about doing that because we're completely contemporary or modern 
and we've been thinking about adding a traditional service, then there's also the need of sometimes, if you're in a, one of the weaknesses we have here at Sassy Church is we have the traditional two-hour um, kind of set where there's a small group and then there's worship hour after that, small groups and then worship hour. Well, we run into a wall with people who will volunteer because they'll miss service. And so we've thought about doing what we would call a servant service or something like that. It it would flesh out to be an earlier service. And the point is it's in a smaller venue. We have the venue. We can do it. The point is to allow, you know, choice for local people, also add a service for those who are serving that day in the second hour. What do you think is – I've heard it said, don't, don't do it unless you need it for space. Do you have any kind of leanings on that yeah, space? Well, I mean, okay, or? so here, I, I would say what you just described in terms of a servant service, that's different than a service designed for mission. Um, mm-hmm. The servant service, that's fine. That's great. But you don't do it intending to grow and you don't intend, you don't do it intending to, I mean, it just is what it is, right? Right. Mission service is a different ball game. If you're trying to reach more people with a service, that's great. I love the impulse behind it. I love the idea behind it. But here's the thing. What I think a lot of people don't think through is a, a few things. Number one, can we do it well? Can we deliver really well? Is the music going to be done well? Do I have enough volunteers to staff the service? Um, you know, preaching multiple times. I mean, I preach on a typical weekend. I preach three times every every weekend, once on Saturday, twice on Sunday. I love it. Preaching is one of my favorite things to do. It energizes me, but I still generally sleep for an hour on Sunday afternoons when I get home. And, you know, I I lay down and I take a nap for 30 minutes to an hour just be, to, just to bounce back a little bit. Um, so you've got to be aware of the wear and tear on, on your body. Uh, the other reality is, so first, can we do it well? Can it be done with excellence? And then the second reality is, do we have critical mass to support the launch? Um, and if we support the launch, will it eliminate critical mass from the service where we're currently in? You know, if you're in, mm. a, if you're in, a, in a sanctuary and you don't need the space, so you've got a 400-seat auditorium and you're running 180 people. Let's say that, right? So you're now at between 40 and 50% capacity. Uh, you're like 45% capacity. Um, and you say, well, we really want to reach people. We've got an older kind of traditional service. We want to reach people. So we're going to ask 50 people to go launch this new service. Well, you've got a problem. You've got two problems. Actually, you go from having one problem to two problems. The one problem is hmm. when you have a traditional service and you say, well, our service isn't great. And people walk in and the service maybe feels a little dry, but it also feels like the room is not that full. Well, now you go to launch two services. You've got 130 in one service, and you've got 50 in the other service in an auditorium that seats 400, and there's no critical mass in the room. And I don't care how cool your worship is. I don't, how, no, I don't care how well done it is. If you don't have critical mass in the room, you lose a, a pretty important um, context a pretty important reality with respect to ambiance that makes it difficult for you to have any energy that people want to come to and then turn around and and come to again. And so I'm, I love the impulse of doing a service for mission. I think it's a great idea. I just think you need to think through critical mass, you know, can it be done well? And do I have the leadership capacity personally to lead it? Do I have the volunteer capacity to be able to serve it well? And then you've got your other questions like Sunday school, life groups, small groups, community groups. How do we support that? And how do we do that? And you know, those other questions. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to do it potentially, in theory, for other reasons besides just space capacity, or, you know, capacity, but just make sure that you've thought through all the other ramifications. Would you say then in that situation, which I think that happens a lot, I think especially it a whole lot. 
Right. So would you say in that situation it's better to spend the relational capital on shifting the the style of the existing service to where it starts growing, you start reaching, you're actually tapping into the culture of the community, or go ahead, because I think the logic is this. These folks, this 180 that are sitting in my sanctuary of 400, they're not going to change. I know there's a few of them that might. So if I can pull this group out, reach that, I'm actually starting another church within a church, which I think is always an issue. But so which would you suggest? Here's what I would say. I would say you're probably better in that case to extend your relational uh, uh, relational capital to try and begin to move the service you're in to a better model. It needs to probably mm-hmm. be done slowly over a long period of time, and it needs to be done incrementally, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But here's what I would say is even more important than fixing your worship style. I would say fixing your worship quality is probably the most important aspect of, is your preaching as good as it can possibly be? I mean, I, I've been preaching now, Josh. I preached my first sermon. Let's see, I'm, I'll be 39 here in just a little bit, so... I preached my first sermon 21 years ago. I've been preaching for 21 years, and for basically 18 years, I've been preaching multiple times a week. I mean, I've preached a lot of sermons. I still listen or watch part of a sermon uh, that I preach every single week. It's the worst thing I do just about. I hate it. But I'm constantly Mm -hmm. asking the question, how do I make sure that I'm communicating most effectively? So I think you start with yourself. Brutally honest with yourself, as hard as you can be on yourself, how can I preach more effectively? But then, is the worship done well? Bad contemporary worship is worse for you long-term than really well-done traditional worship. Now, yes, mm. very few traditional churches are growing, but I'm telling you there's a plethora of bad contemporary stuff out there, and it's not going to grow either. And, in fact, it'll, They're not growing it'll either, lose right. the base of 180 people that you do have. So right. you're better off to do well what you are doing than to move to mm-hmm. a new model that you can't do well. So mm. fix worship excellence, fix worship quality, while trying to incrementally move them to a better model. Right. I think another thing to add to this, because I've been in this conversation a shockingly large number of times with other churches. They they have this, they're not meeting capacity. They want to start another service and things like this. One of the things to just think through, and this happened, it can happen more than you think, is reducing the number of seats in the sanctuary, actually raising your capacity or, you know, raising your, your, what did you call that? Critical uh, mass. Minimum of critical mass. Critical so mass. eliminating or, or reducing capacity, which increases critical right. mass. And so if you're in chairs, you can take one chair off of each side. You can make the back si- or the side sides really better. If you're in pews or even chairs, you can take a couple of rows out of the back and even kind of set up. I've seen them set up more of a, a uh, welcoming area that you can walk through more space to mingle, which works great if you're in more of a traditional building that has pews all the way to the back and then a very small lobby. You can actually create lobby-type space in the back for fellowshipping and mingling. It makes that critical mass better. You can improve the quality of your worship and then worry about launching another service later on down the road. Yeah, I was actually speaking at a a former megachurch in the Atlanta area about a month ago that had mm-hmm. really declined precipitously and now has seen some really exciting growth. 
but they're still nowhere close to a megachurch or anything like that anymore. They're still fairly small, but they're still in this auditorium that was built for when they were like four and a half thousand people every weekend. <clears throat> and uh, and they had literally, and it's all pews. It's an old, very old, traditional auditorium. Now it's fan shaped, but it's old and traditional. And they had actually done exactly what you just described, Josh. They about th- three or four months ago, they just went in and they they eliminated like fifteen percent of their pews. I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell until I was in the very back of the room and I looked down and I saw a couple of holes where pews had been screwed into the floor. Right. It's the only right. thing I could tell. Otherwise, when I walked in the room, I just thought this is the way it was. And what mm-hmm. they did is they created, they reduced capacity and increased critical mass, which lends the room, even if you keep the same number of people in there, feels like the room is more full, mm-hmm. which creates yeah. a more exciting atmosphere and uh, and helps, you know, it's just a place where sure. people want to be. They want to be in a room mm-hmm. that feels like it's full. Right. So I would I would encourage you to think through other options. You don't necessarily need to go to another service and add a different kind of idea. You can pull those pews out. Another thing that is so funny to me how few churches do this is music before and after the service. Music fills a room. And when you walk into a room and there's nobody in there and there's no music going on, put a little music in there. Also, you could move your what we call we call here the connection center, other churches call guest center or something like that. You can actually move that into the back where you pulled out those chairs type of things. And so I, I suggested at one church that they keep the guest center out in the lobby, but the lobby was so small. They had this guest center, and then they had this center where, you know, you sign up for stuff where you're a member and you find the Bible study. So I actually suggested let's move the member one into the sanctuary off to the side, make it bigger and nicer so that the assumption is, once you've been to a service, you're going to go past that, sign up for a Bible study, something like that. When you come in the front door, you want to see the guest center. So there's a number of ways that you can actually make your one small service feel better, more attractive. And once that fits capacity, you can put back in chairs. You know, My suggestion always is pull pews out, put chairs in. That way we can eventually get to the chairs. If, you know, And I know a lot of people want to do that. So you you can do those things, and this will keep you from, um, you know, kind of running into those situations one last thought we've got we've got just a little bit of time here what do you think about the idea of maybe not adding a sunday but go ahead and jumping all the way to a saturday evening service yeah okay so this is a tough one i have a saturday evening service here i tend to be i tend to encourage people to be very slow to add a sunday evening or a saturday evening service or another service through the week when you're a pastor or a staff member, first of all, you eliminate half of your you you eliminate twenty five percent of your time off your weekends when you add if you add a Saturday night service, you know our Saturday night services happen at five o'clock. I usually leave my house by three or so on a Saturday, and I get home um, at the earliest seven o'clock on a Saturday. So that's four hours out of my Saturday. And by the time I get home, it's time for my, you know, we eat a quick dinner and my kids are getting showers and everybody's heading to bed. Um, because we got to get up Sunday morning is is the earliest morning of the week for me. Sure. And so thankfully we use a preaching pastor model with two preaching pastors every weekend on our, on our staff. And so I only have to preach every other Saturday. So that helps. But 25% of my weekend is gone, you know, just about because of a Saturday service. Well, that's, you know, multiplied times all the other staff members you're asking to be there and all the volunteers. It's far easier to get volunteers to stay for another service on Sunday mornings than it is to get a whole new set of volunteers to come back on Saturdays. Because remember, generally, Mm. when you add Saturday, the people who are there for a Saturday service do not have anything to do with the people who are there on Sunday and vice versa. That's how it is Mm. at our church. I can think of one lay volunteer 
at our church. By the way, he's a 95-year-old man who Mm. volunteers to hand out bulletins every Saturday night, and he hands out bulletins before both services every Sunday morning in our sanctuary. Coolest man, I'm telling you. I love this guy. And he will until he dies. He will. That's his job. That's right. And he also, by the way, goes out and does outreach with us. He he does prison ministry with us. He's like probably three to four days a week minimum doing volunteer ministry through the church. I love the guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He was there on V-Day, by the way, in World War II, which was also really cool. Um, But... Aside from him, nobody that I can think of who's a volunteer has uh, mixes between Saturday and sur- Sunday. So you're talking about an mm. entirely new set of volunteers or taking right. volunteers away from Sunday that are going to move to Saturday. And now you've lost them on Sunday. So right. it's, it, there certainly are good reasons why you would go to a Saturday or a Sunday night. But I would tell you it ought to be generally a last, resor- uh, last resort. Hmm. A lot of great stuff here. I hope that whoever you know kind of sent this in to us and others will benefit from this. I know this is a conversation that a lot of people are having. Thanks again for listening to EST. That's Micah. I'm Josh and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.